Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you know my my code, it means I have five guests today by the numbers of welcome because I want everybody to feel included. Have I got a show for you? Listen, it is April something, April 7th, 2021. We have who are here. We have lived through a very, very trying year plus with the pandemic and with all the shutdowns and changes to our lives, to our businesses, to our families, our health and everything. And it's time to celebrate. And what better way than talking about wine and technology? So the title of the show is The Future of Wine and Technology, Drink Up. And I didn't bring my wine glass, Lisa Al- Lisa Allen. Lisa Allen is back. She was on the show with me a couple of weeks ago. I want to say thank you to Lisa for putting together this panel, and I'll be introducing them in a moment. So let's talk. According to futurewineexpo.com, that's a website, listen up, just a decade from now, and we're talking about 2030-ish, the wine industry is likely to look a lot different than it does now. A number of important factors, including the rise of China, as the next great wine nation. Ooh, the global impact of climate change. Been hearing about that for a long time. The wide-scale embrace of technological change by growers, winemakers, and retailers. We've got a little bit of everybody here today. Are making it highly likely that the way we drink and enjoy wine will continue to change at a rapidly accelerating pace. We're talking about drones and robots in the vineyard. Haven't seen any of those yet. Mentioned climate change, sustainability. What about eco-friendly wines? What about new taste trends? Innovations in packaging. We might even see something called a beverage wine. Somebody will explain that to me. Blended vintages, new winemaking trends, new retail wine concepts. How about bottles that are technically augmented? Can't wait to hear about that. And what about the blockchain-based authentication of fine wine? Blockchain is used to authenticate gems and all kinds of things and even wine. Yes. So we have Lisa Allen at Wine Insight. Lisa, for those who are watching us on live stream, why don't you wave and say hello, Lisa? There she is. We have Jeff Lubin at Independence Wine Consulting. Hello, Jeff. Morning. He's out in the vineyard. I love that, Jeff. It's a beautiful day. Very authentic. Very authentic. I appreciate it. (laughs) Heidi Scheid at Scheid Family Wines. Hello, Heidi. Heidi is happy. She's got a happy sign on her her desk there. We have Doug Bell at Adult Beverage Innovation and Product Development at. Doug, where is this all at? Uh, Whole Foods, based in Austin, Texas. Good morning, everybody. Whole Foods, good morning. And we have Matthew Goldman at Vertical Finance. Hello, Matthew. And we're going to ask for their take on the future of wine and technology. Drink up. Everybody wave hello to our live stream audience. There we go. Good. We got waves. So I'm going to ask my esteemed guests to introduce themselves briefly. I want to make sure everybody, oh, somebody's drinking. Doug, was that something good in that glass? (laughs) Oh, it's Fiji. Okay, that's fine. We can mention brand names. Yes. So, Lisa Allen, you're my hero for the day. You gathered this wonderful panel. Can't wait to hear from all of them. Why don't you introduce yourself briefly, Lisa? Welcome back. Happy to have you. And tell us what's your passion for wine and technology. Lisa, you're up. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is a super exciting day because um, when you've been in the business, 
you know, one of the biggest rewards besides ensuring that there's there are no thirsty people in the world is connecting with people that have been part of your career. And looking at the screen today, I've got some really, really special people that I've known for decades. Um, and so I've learned a lot from them. We share with each other, we support each other and excited to hear what they all say today. Um, you know, the wine business is exciting for me because it literally changes every year in some capacity, right? You know, we have a new vintage um, and there's always a new customer to engage with. Um, you know, people always pushing the envelope, um, be it with, you know, type of wine, uh, where the wine is from, what type of grapes that they're using. Um, and so I'm excited to be part of this conversation today. And, you know, I still sell wine in the wholesale capacity. So that's really kind of my wheelhouse and my lane in this industry is engaging with producers from all over the world uh, and kind of trying to marry up what people are you know, growing and making with what people are wanting to pick off the shelf, select off a wine list and consume. Um, and so it's changing a lot. The last year has been different. And I think it's in a lot of good ways. And I'm excited to talk about that with everybody today. Thank you very much. Lisa, you're my good luck charm, my dear. We are live on LinkedIn. I'm watching you right now. It says live and it's on my LinkedIn page and it's happening. So you're my lucky charm. Lisa Allen, come I back every, every week. I need you. You're my tal- talisman, talisman. Thank you very much. Let's go to Jeff Lubin. Jeff, love to hear from you, please. And excite everybody with your background and what's your passion for the topic. Jeff, you're up. Morning. Hey, I'm Jeff Lubin. I am the owner of Independence Wine Consulting, and I started consulting after a long career, starting way back in the '80s in the wine business. Um, I, it's sort of a bit of a hybrid, sort of a funny story. I was I was a stock boy at a at a liquor store in Beverly Hills when I was about 19, and I was loading the cooler up with Coca-Cola, and I was grabbed by the scruff of my neck by the the wine steward and said, "I'm you are my new assistant." So I went from stocking <laughs> Coca-Cola to drinking Montrachet in the afternoon. So it was, uh, it was a great entry. It's exciting for me. I mean, I was young and it was the 80s, so I was 19. It, it was the 80s. So uh, I got to enjoy wine early, um, but it really um, sparked an interest in looking at the different regions, the different wines. Uh, but mostly it's just a fun industry is why I've been doing it for so long. I mean, you know, um, you could be some wineries can be a little stuffy, some can't, but it's really people go there to enjoy themselves, have a good time, uh, and you can get as geeky as you want, or you can just find out what you like, which is which is great about this business. Um, I mainly specialize in helping uh, small wineries with wholesale, three tier system. Uh, but thanks to COVID, I became a social media expert in the last <laughs> the last couple years, uh, mainly in the last year because of the way the industry has changed, the restaurants closing and everything else had a huge impact mm-hmm. in the business. But I'm really happy to be here and uh, excited to start talking about these topics. Jeff, we're delighted. I love your backstory. I love the story of, of how you started as a stock boy. We never know where we're going to end up. I was a computer exactly. I was a computer programmer back in the day. And Jeff, I recently learned that I'm considered to be an early woman in tech. In the 1970s, mm-hmm. I won't tell you what, before Honeywell bought Xerox, I worked on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, key punching on 80 column cards, and I still have the green bar paper to prove that I was coding those days in COBOL and then PL1 on an iPad. IBM 4341, way back in the wood computer rooms were the size of a warehouse. Yes. So back in the day, yes. I, I love your backstory. Thank you very much, Jeff. Let's move on. Heidi, Heidi Scheid, so happy to meet you. Can't wait to hear about you. I'm putting you on full speaker view so the world can get to know you. Heidi, go ahead. Um, Bonnie, thank you so much for having me and Lisa for uh, connecting us. I'm Heidi Scheid. I'm with Scheid Family Wines. 
We are a family-owned winery in Monterey County, California. Um, we have been around since 1972. My father started the company in 1972 as a grower. So up for like for the first 30 years, we sold 100% of our production to other wineries. Our joke is always that you tried our wines, um, you just didn't know it because we still sell a lot of our grapes and wine to other wineries. But in the last decade or so, we've really started to put our own grapes um, into our own brands. And that's been a really exciting evolution. Um, I joined the company in 1992. So I have been in this business for about 28, 29 years. And I love the wine industry from the bottom of my heart. Um, it is an industry that is endlessly fascinating. It is such a journey of learning. Um, rarely do you come across anybody in the wine industry who is not passionate about the product that we all um, either produce or represent. Um, it's a product that's been around for over 7,000 years. And here we are talking about the ways that it's going to change in the coming years. And I find that incredibly fascinating and I could talk about it all day. <laughs> and maybe we will get to talk about it all day, but for right now, it's an hour. And I want to tell you, Heidi, that I'm in a 55 plus community. Many people are retired. Clearly, I'm not. And the club that is the most popular here is the wine club and when I and I'm not much of a drinker I'll admit my daughter and my son are they collect vintage wines and I when I get something as a gift I give it to one of them so they can really enjoy it but my point is that there are so many people who wanted to sit around tables with hors d'oeuvres and and whatever and drink wine and share wine that they have three wine clubs here so when the clubhouse shut down during beginning of COVID, I'm feel I'm sensing that there were either a lot of mass private parties going on or people were saying what and we actually were covered by a local newspaper early on when people were going out to the middle of the street and putting a, with a glove on and putting a bottle of wine on the on the line in the middle of the street, the traffic line, and a neighbor from across the street would walk over and get the bottle of wine. I love that. <laughs> People sat in their driveways with the husbands and wives with their chairs together and six feet apart having cocktail parties last summer here. Well, I'm in Durham, North Carolina, but the wine clubs, and I was advised when I moved here, go find a wholesale wine store and buy your wine by the case. You're going to need it. That's what I was told. <laughs> <laughs> I've got five five bottles half open. Don't say anything, please. And then the extra fridge in the garage. What can I tell you? Everybody come over and drink at my house. Doug Bell, you've been waiting patiently, I think. Nice to meet you, Doug. Would you please excite us with your background? Doug Bell, welcome. Sure, Bonnie. Thank you for having me today on the panel. So um, I've been in the business, I guess, about 35 years. Jeff, I'm echoing you. I started stocking a beer cooler in 1982 in college on weekends and holidays, Christmas holidays and summer, when I was at home to earn some extra money. And I'm still at it now. I work with Whole Foods Market. I've been with Whole Foods now for about 25 years. When I started with the company, we had 40 stores and now we have 550. So that's a long, long time. My team and I in, uh, in Austin, we develop a private label product for Whole Foods. Um, mostly in the adult beverage arena. Um, I also help consult with our regional adult beverage buyers in terms of buying local, uh, co-producing locally, etc. I think, um, Jeff, you and I both came into this business right in 85, 86, and it was a very yeah. exciting time in the wine industry. You had California blossoming. You had fantastic vintages in Bordeaux, like 82 and 86. 
and 90 for that matter and 89 and it just it got in my blood and it's still here it's exciting it changes Lisa like you said every year is a new year and um, I think COVID is uh, is going to change the way that we do business again through technology Thank you very much. So nice to meet you. We're very honored that you are here with your co-panelists. Thank you very much. Matthew Goldman, love to hear from you. And let's find out what you have to do in the wine business. Matthew, I'm putting you up on full screen. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I have the least experience in wine of anyone on the panel. My background is in startups and technology and financial services. And prior to my current company, I started a credit card marketing company that I sold to Bankrate and I spent all day selling people credit cards and traveling to various offices of the company. And I thought to myself, you know, airline miles and hotel points have no value to me. I don't want to get on a plane. I'm sick of traveling for work every other week. I just want to go to wine country. I want to enjoy a nice bottle. How do I make that part of my life? How do I make that part of my business? And decided that there was a bunch of people like me who would want wine rewards and help understanding how to connect with smaller wineries, how to find new wines and find new experiences. And that led to my starting Grand Reserve, which is the first credit card for wine lovers in the United States. And we work with hundreds of small wineries to help them connect with people who really love wine and give them rewards for exploring new wineries. And they can use those points to buy wine and buy stemware and have great experiences. And actually, I think you know, when I met Lisa, I was pitching her on this program at one of her prior roles. And she said one of my favorite quotes I, I continue to use, which is, we have to keep making wine in traditional ways, but we need to start selling wine in new ways. And I think that really encapsulates so well the challenge we have in terms of distribution, getting people connected, and the fact that people want to buy anything and everything online. Fascinating. Thank you. Lisa, thank you for including Matthew on this panel, a different perspective. And I love what you said about different new ways, different ways of selling. So much is changing per my opening quote. Thank you all for the intros. I appreciate it. And now to my listeners, if you're brand new, I'll tell you this is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie from a song, from a TV show that has absolutely nothing to do with wine. That's our topic today and nothing to do with technology. And we're going to ask them to explain in their own words how they think it relates to the topic. So Lisa Allen, you are up first. And Lisa has sent us a quote from Willy Wonka, played by the great Gene Wilder. Mm -hmm. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 1971 American musical fantasy film directed by Mel Stewart and starring Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. And here's the quote. We have so much time and so little to see. Wait, strike that. Reverse it. Lisa, explain. <laughs> I love the quote. Um, well, besides, besides being one of my all-time favorite movies, the original, not the, the re-adaptation by Johnny Depp, um, it just, you know, when we think about kind of what the last, you know, year plus has looked like, I mean, things changed dramatically and, and not because anybody was asking for it to or necessarily wanted it to, but it happened nonetheless. And so, and we had, we have so much to see and so little time to kind of figure out kind of how do we now own this, capture it uh, and channel it for ourselves now with intentionality, right? You know, again, COVID didn't happen by choice, um, but we've got it and we've got life after it. And I think that to me, what the quotes, you know, allows us to think about is all of these changes and how do we again kind of bundle it up and find our own golden ticket, if you will, uh, into, into kind of what this next, you know, kind of chapter 
uh, of the industry is going to look like for all of us, be it in, in tech and in experiences with credit cards, be it you know, growing grapes, making wine, selling wine, or putting wine on shelves uh, like Doug does at Whole, Whole Foods, um, or me, you know, engaging with suppliers like Heidi. And when she said, um, you know, you know, kind of wine they make is kind of everywhere. You, you got to learn from me, uh, Bonnie, on the first time I joined the show mm-hmm. that I sell wine to Delta Airlines and the wine yes. I'm selling to Delta, Heidi's company made. Um, so, um, so it is, it, it's kind of everywhere and it's great. It can be part of every kind of experience. Um, and, um, anyway, so I think that, you know, the quote really speaks to, again, so much has changed in a lot of time. We've got a lot to see, a lot to do and feel it seemingly not enough time sometimes to do it and catch up to kind of where consumers might be going. Thank you very much, Lisa. Love the quote. Appreciate it. Nice to, nice to have quotes from fun movies like that. Mm-hmm. Jeff Lubin has sent us a If I say it's a serious quote, I'm giving away the quote. So I didn't say that, Jeff. Strike that from the record. It's from The Joker, played by the late Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, a 2008 superhero film. You all know that based on the DC Comics character Batman. It's the second installment of of who? Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy and a sequel to Batman Begins. Okay, and here's the quote. Three little words. And this can be used almost anywhere anyway, but I can't wait to hear how Jeff uses it on our topic today. Why so serious? Jeff, help me out here. I mean, it's almost like my tagline. So, <laughs> you know, first of all, I'm not huge on movie quotes. So I had to use some technology to Google some movie quotes. And this one popped out of me. First of all, it was great, great movie. Litter was a great part. But, but, you know, why so, you know, why be so serious? I mean, I mean, I mentioned earlier, the wine business is a fun business, uh, which is one of the reasons why, the really main reason why I've been doing it for so long. But, you know, through my career, I've been in corporate offices. I've been in family-owned, you know, wineries out out in the vineyard. And and I always like to throw a little um, little sarcasm, a little fun into everything that I do. I've uh, done a lot of marketing uh, for big brands. And, and, um, you know, I think people uh, resonate to it. So, you know, we we can get so into what we're talking about and into our business because especially the wine business is a business. It's, you know, it can be glamorous and everything else, but it's still a big business. But, um, you know, sometimes we can be too serious. And, you know, one of my biggest successes is always throwing a little levity in there and uh, uh, making it uh, not as pretentious and, and a little more down to earth. And, you know, with a lot of the social media I've been doing lately, it is, it is humorous. I mean, um, one of my clients, Highway 12 Winery, um, we started doing a virtual tasting called the tailgate tasting. And it was basically, you know, mm. this is last year when people were just grabbing whatever phone they can and making little videos. And we basically put Paul in the back of his truck in the vineyard, in this vineyard right here behind me and just did tastings with people. And we found that people loved it. It was, it was uh, down to earth. It was casual. Uh, took a lot of the stuffiness out of it. So uh, I like to sort of throw a little levity and have a little fun with everything that I do. Thank you. When you were speaking, I was wondering, Lisa, is there a, a winery, anybody, is there a winery called down to earth wines? Oh, there might be a brand. I don't know if um, someone, anybody off the top of their head, Doug, you see so many labels more than any of us. Anything resonate with down to earth wine? There's, I feel like there's something along that. It just seems so I natural. I bet you it's trademarked. I bet you it's trademarked. Yeah, I bet you it is too. <laughs> I think so too. I'm it just seems, right now. It just seems <laughs> yeah. so natural. Down, yeah, we, yeah, we need a website, down to earth wines. Mm-hmm. And by the way, <laughs> Jeff, Another another uh, quote I, I thought of when you, why so serious, you know the quote from Mad Magazine, Alfred E. Newman, what me worry? 
Or that wasn't okay. work, yeah. <laughs> Why so serious? What me where? Okay, we could do yeah. a whole thing on that. Thank you very much. Love the quote in the background. Heidi Scheide sent a quote from the $6 million man, American science fiction. It wasn't called sci-fi back then. I think it was science fiction. An action TV series from 1973 to 78. Heidi, I don't think you were born then. I know you oh, were. I was. No, no, you weren't. No, no, don't lie about your age. And here we go. The, this is voiced by the narrator who was series producer Harve or Harvey. It doesn't have a Y, the Harve Bennett. And he identifies the protagonist, Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. And here is the quote. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better, stronger, faster. Heidi, talk to me. (laughs) Well, last March when COVID hit, our business was doing really well. We uh, were selling a lot of wine to the airlines, to the cruise lines, a lot of restaurants. We were really kind of hitting on all cylinders. And then the world changed. Um, And we really had to take a look at our business in a different way, really rebuild ourselves um, it, it was a difficult first 30 days as we kind of came to grips with what, what, what was happening on the world and trying to figure out how long this was actually going to last. I remember at the beginning when we all thought it was going to last like 60 days or quite mm-hmm. soon, like the second half of the year is going to be amazing. And, you know, at some point reality kind of hits you like a cold slap in the face and you understand that you really have to um, take a look at your business differently and really rebuild it. And so that's what we did. So this this quote, besides loving the $6 million man, it was a show that we used to watch together as a family gathered around the TV set when people used to do that on regular network TV. Um, we really did take a look at building our, um, our business, rebuilding it better, stronger, faster. And I think our entire industry has really done that. And in the last year of COVID, I think we've grown in 10 years of technology in terms of how we look at it and what we need to bring to the party to really be successful. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Great quote. And by the way, the the original way the narrator said is, gentlemen, we can rebuild him. But I took that out because you didn't include that. So it's a paraphrase <laughs> quote. There we go. Now, Doug Bell, quote from the captain who was a cruel prison warden played by Struther Martin in the movie Cool and Luke, 1967 American prison drama film directed by Stuart Rosenberg. I'm sure that's important to somebody. The film starred Paul Newman as Luke and featured George Kennedy in an Oscar-winning performance. Luke is a prisoner in a Florida prison camp, refuses to submit to the system. And here is the quote. This is really iconic. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Doug, talk to us. So, you know, if you think back to January 2020, all communication was 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 not solid it was it's it might be bad but it might not um and then you know lockdown comes the middle of march uh again the communication from you know politicians at the state level the federal level and after that comes even more confusion in communication about about what we as the human species can and cannot do with or without a mask, how we're supposed to act here, et cetera. It was total disruption. And I think that if there'd been a clearer path of communication, we wouldn't be number one where we are now, but thankfully we are where we are. But I wonder if if sometimes in our industry, we have done so much in the past 12 months. Heidi, like you said, we've progressed a decade in, ten, in, in a year or 12 months. 
is that really good? And are we actually over communicating? Is over communication successful communication? I don't know. But I was confused by communication and still am to a certain degree since COVID. So let's hope that the communication coming out of this is much clearer than we've experienced. Okay. Anybody want to comment on that without getting political? Anybody raise their hand or I'll move on. Thank you very much, Doug. Appreciate that. Matthew Goldman has sent us a quote from They, a song by Welsh singer-songwriter Jem, J-E-M, on the album Finally Woken from 2004. And Jem was announced as America's biggest British female debut artist of the year 2004. I'm sure Matthew knows that. And here is the quote the lyrics are, and who they, and who are they, and where are they, and how can they possibly know all this? Matthew, exciting lyrics. Talk to me. You're going to sing it for us? You don't, you don't want to hear me sing, that's for, for sure. Uh, it's a great, great song, though. I, I picked this quote because before, before separating from COVID, I went to the Wine Market Council's annual data meeting last January, a year ago, and they spent some time talking about millennials and hard seltzer and different package sizes, and there was this kind of angst in the room about who are these new consumers and what are they doing and how can they decide whether they like wine? And then there's the people running the surveys and it got me thinking, who are those people? And how do they know what millennials want or younger consumers? And there's this idea that there's the cliff coming in wine and people are going to be buying less as the baby boomers age out of it. And I think it's, it's a very big topic in wine. It really concerns people. And I think it's very solvable. And I actually don't worry I think there's a lot of millennials who love wine who don't have the money to be buying luxury wine yet. And I think that a lot of these products can live side by side. People can like wine and like hard seltzer and they can like big bottles of a French red and they can like a can of wine to drink by the pool. And then all these new innovations will keep the industry growing and that we shouldn't worry about what they are saying because who are they and how do they actually know it? That was absolutely beautiful. That was wonderful, Matthew. That's true. That's true. Um, when I was growing up, my parents would say, they said this. I, and I, as I grew up, I said, who are they? Why are we listening to them? What, what do we care? Matthew, that was perfect. That, that should be a mantra for life is who are they? How do they know this? Or how do they think they know this? Or why do they want us to believe they know this and we don't? Thank you very much. And I love the idea of, uh, by the way, there's an article. I think somebody just wrote an op-ed in some major paper that they say that the boomers ruined the world. There's a, it just came out yesterday. The boomers are responsible for ruining everything for the Zers. The Zers are now called the Zoomers. I just learned oh, that the other day. Gen Zs are the Zoomers. Did the boomers ruin the world for the millennials and the wires, the Gen wires and the Zoomers? And I'm going to sit here and say, not even close. So we'll just go with that. Okay. Drink up. You'll get over it. Okay. So let's go to the a lot of problems. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Can't wait for those wine clubs to come back. Right. Let's go to our predictions round. This will be a lightning round, but if anybody has a comment on somebody else's prediction and I will put the prediction that's coming up next in the chat for the next speaker, anybody has anything to say, just raise your hand or teacher, teacher, call me and I will call you. I promise. Okay. So Lisa Allen, prediction number one, the wine industry will continue to innovate around product, including but not limited to the product itself with low and no alcohol wines, 
flavor profiles, packaging with single serve. I'm not even going to go through the list. There's so much here. Lisa, unpack this. Take about three minutes, and I will take comments from anybody before we move on. Lisa, go. Okay. First thing, was that event, um, Matthew, at SF MoMA? Yes. Yeah, so that's where I reconnected with Heidi in person. Um, so it's a kind of, sorry, I love to connect we're to Don and Bonnie. Um, so we were all in that room together. Jeff, were you there too? I was not there. Okay. I know Doug wasn't there, but um, anyway, super <laughs> small world as it always is in every single business, especially our wine industry. Um, this was a little bit of a reunion for Doug and Heidi, Bonnie as well. They had not been able to connect in person in quite some time, but go, I mean, relationships go back for a while. Um, you know, the, 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 indus- the, what, the prediction that I wanted to speak on first was really around continuing to innovate as far as, you know, we have to continue to f- figure out what people are willing to drink. And there have been trends for years um, around, you know, dry January and sober October and all of these things. And you saw a a trend emerging around being aware of alcohol consumption. Um, And for a long time, a previous role, I I represented all the wines of the Trincaro family, and they make Sutter Home would be their biggest and Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, most well-known brand, a big legacy brand in this industry. And then kind of at that same tier, there's a brand called Free, just F-R-E with an accent. Um, And it is a non-ALK product. And, you know, there was no competition. And so to kind of to be a, a, you know, to be a person who might love wine or love an experience uh, around food and beverage, we'll call it. You know, there wasn't really anything for, for folks. So people just abstained, right? For, you know, a 30-day period here and a 30-day period there. And and now with COVID, then people, I think, just didn't abstain. They only drank. Um, but people are, are finding that middle ground. And this kind of like, and Heidi can really speak to this trend because she's part of making the trend what it is, um, which is super exciting. And they are leading this category, in my opinion, from what I can see. But low and no alk wines are, again, are very, very viable. Again, it's a lifestyle uh, choice. It is a way to participate. And, and um, you know, back to Matthew's comment of how do we engage with millennials and do we really know what they want? But it seems to be that they are, you know, social creatures, pack animals. <laughs> um, they want authentic experiences and they want to, you know, not be judged for how they want to participate, even if it's not kind of how participation looked previously Uh, and giving people the freedom to engage in, uh, you know, a wine experience that is on their own terms, which could be, again, I don't really want to consume alcohol, but I still want the pretty glass at the table. I want to look like I fit in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have other growing segments of the population that there's not been anything geared toward them, you know, be it Hispanics uh, or other, you know, ethnic, you know, minorities who have a different you know, kind of culturally have been influenced by different flavors, right? And we have need to find a way to give them something, even if though we don't think it's the, the, it's not my favorite wine necessarily, but it's a wine that they love. And, you know, the more people we have at the table, we have to build a bigger pie, the, the better off we all are. Uh, literally every single person on this, you know, on this panel today, we need more people who love, you know, wine and we'll say wine in quotes just because it can become a, a looser definition, I think, of what wine is. You know, back to you know, part of your intro, Bonnie, with um, kind of the wine beverage and it doesn't have to be just the traditional Napa Valley cab with a cork and all of this. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be this beautiful estate vineyard, you know, that Jeff is sitting in, in front of. Uh, it can be, but it doesn't have to be limited to just that. Um, and then because it's experiential and because we were forced to consume um, in different, you know, in a di- physically in a different place with no restaurants um, and then kind of together, but separate uh, for a long time in COVID, you know, single serve became really important. 
uh, and things to go. But then uh, because of the spike of the uh, hard seltzers, Bonnie, then there's a can shortage. Now people can't get cans. So now Mm. you're going to be forced to innovate yet again because there's a can shortage in the world. Um, And so you've got to find even yet other, you know, kind of formats um, and enclosures to use um, to, again, to continue to put wine out there in a, in a way that's going to be relevant uh, and, and received. Um, So I think there's a, there's a lot that already kind of started. It was like a slow drip and then COVID, you know, kind of really turned on, you know, the fire hydrant, if you will, with some of these things again, around, you know, alcohol consumption, formats um, and, and literally the delivery of the, of the product. Thank you, Lisa. Very, very interesting. Any comments from anybody? Any hands up or we, I'm going to move on. Okay. You had your chance, Jeff Lubin. I'm going to prediction number one. I'm just going to read the first sentence because this is a lot of information. You said online wine salesman sales will surpass package store retail in the next 10 years. Jeff, talk to us. Predict. You know, it make me, it may be very sad to write that sentence because I spent a third of my life in retail. Um, but, and Doug, I, sorry, but, um, but you know, the way things have been evolving, even before COVID, um, you know, you have apps like Vivino and you got wine.com and, and Amazon uh, with, with overnight delivery. Um, I think the, the younger consumer, we all know, I mean, they live on their phones, they live on their computers. And, you know, I've walked many wine aisles throughout the years with, with the thousands and thousands of labels and just, you know, even being in the business, I'm, I'm sort of staring at this, this wall of wine trying to find something new and, and uh, trying to get the package to jump out at me. But now you just, you could just, you go online, you have recommendations, you, you can read reviews, like, you know, like you're, like you're going through Yelp, you can go through like Vivino, it has five stars, four stars from real people. And, and I know the younger people who, you know, haven't had the whole experience, the wine experience, going to wineries, and, and it's new to them. They see they've seen their parents drinking wine, and they and they're familiar with it. Um, they want that that third party, you know, nudge recommendation to 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 see if they're making the right choice. And I think you know the, the wine stewards are sort of going away in the retailers. There are fine, you know, with the fine wine shops are still there. But I think it's just you know a few things: information, but also the ease of just perusing, pushing a button, and then having it delivered in a couple of days is, is really going to uh, affect the, the package store. And um, I think, um, you know, it, it's sad. It's, it's the way of the beast. It's really the way of, of just retail commerce in general. There's a lot of these, we all know a lot of big retailers are closing down and that have been here forever. But I think the wine industry is, is, uh, is, is going to feel that and sort of going in that direction. Thank you very much. Any comments? Lisa, did, like I said, it made me very sad to put that down. Yeah. Because it's, I'm, I'm Make a, a sad face. Make a sad I'm, face, Jeff. Here we go. We'll go I'm, a, I'm a traditionalist, but, uh, you know, reality is just starting to hit us all, uh, all in the face. It is. Lisa, go and then Doug. Go ahead, Lisa. You know, just a couple of things. One, you know, does it suggest, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the future of the wine industry and kind of how technology needs to be part of that. And if you have potentially big retailers closing, is that just a function, again, of the stodginess and the slow nature of our industry, especially for those that have, of us who have been in it for a long time, right? We never had to change. We have this very traditional, very ancient, if you will. I mean, Heidi mentioned 7,000 years, you know, wine has been around. So, we're slow in this business. And so if a big retailer is forced to close, is it because they haven't been willing to be faster and to ad- adopt, you know, technology? Um, 
And uh, you know, I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. Is it okay that they go away um, b- because, you know, they, you know, it's kind of Darwinian, if you will. Yeah. Uh, personally, I don't think it is. It's funny because what I was, what I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, the claw and all, all the seltzers and all that stuff is, you know, how, how many of these younger people that are getting into wine have really tried an outstanding Burgundy or, or, or a Bordeaux or, or, you know, a great Napa Valley uh, Chardonnay or Pinot. Um, you know, that, that experience of tasting, which is one of my other points down the road here, but um, is, is I think we're, we're losing it because even, even in retailers, there's, there's tasting bars. You can talk to the person, you can taste, they'll give you a taste of the wine and get the experience. Uh, I think that's what's, that's what's going to be missing in the long run. They're just going to be looking at, oh, well, Joe gave it five stars, so it's got to be good. Or, you know, um, or, you know, a friend told me it was good, so you're going to like it without really having that whole experience. I think we're guilty of that already because if Robert Parker gave it 98 points, people bought it. Right. Ah, Doug Bell, you had a comment. Yeah, Jeff, when I, when I read that prediction from you, I, I kind of thought, wow. He's, that's some insight. But I think as, you know, as a retailer, we're, Whole Foods is owned by Amazon. It's not a secret. You know, we were forced to adapt last year in ways that we didn't think were that important. But suddenly they became very important, like being able to pick up alcohol at the curb, right? There were some, some metro markets didn't even have legislation to dictate that. I'm thinking... Uh, the mis- uh, municipality of Boston, Boston city limits. They didn't have any, any laws for that. So, and then also delivery. Um, and that's actually Bonnie. One of my third prediction is that sure. Direct to consumer mm-hmm. blew up in 2020 with wine clubs and, and things like that. And I understand that, but the more interesting thing, and this is where retailers are going to have to adapt is it's the partnerships like um, BevMo and GoPuff mm-hmm. and Uber buying Drizzly. Drizzly. It's, it's the two-hour delivery window or the mm-hmm. overnight delivery window. I sat on a panel in October with a representative of, of a white glove, white glove wine store in New York. There's only two, so it's mm-hmm. one of them, you can guess. And she was like, yeah, you know, I'm like our average ring was like $46. I'm like, well, yeah, but the average wine ring in America is $9.50. And it's consumed in four hours. It's not about a Screaming Eagle or, you know, Lafitte or DRC. So the, the two are they are going to have to coexist. Mm-hmm. And if you're a fine wine retailer, you really need to get on the ball now, figure it out. If you haven't figured it out by now, you should have. But then as a retailer, and I'm thinking of, of chains like Total Wine and more, they're, they're opening more stores. We're opening, I think, 12 stores this year. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see in a decade how that prediction comes out. Right. Yeah, I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I'll come back. Go ahead, Lisa. I hope you're wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Doug a little bit on it. I mean, I think what we're talking about is has COVID actually changed, caused a permanent change in consumer behavior? And... I hate buying wine online because it's really hard to see what's available. You know, I don't like having to click through, you know, you type in California Chardonnay and you get 300 options. I would much rather go to a wine aisle. Look, I would much rather go to a supermarket to buy certain things because I feel like I'm going to be able to choose better product Mm -hmm. if I see it physically in a space. And so 
I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in that and think about it a little bit more. Well, yeah. thank, thank you for that. Doug, go ahead. Clicks are not sexy. Can you stare at a screen? I mean, at some point, no, you want to go out no, and have an actual experience, especially in a beautiful market like Whole Foods with big aisles and when food sampling comes back and wine sampling comes back and you can buy ready to make, make foods. You can pick out your own produce. I don't want somebody else picking out my bananas. You know, I know what level of greenness I need. That's, that's my job. <laughs> that's, that's, absolutely that's right. the challenge, you know, <laughs> selling things online is that your content has to be compelling without being cheesy. It mm. needs to be as authentic as it possibly can because that's something that they, the millennials, they want. They want authenticity, right? It's really hard to get that across uh, in, in a space where you click and you just look with your eyeballs. It's not like right. you're not feeling that embossed label. You're not seeing, you're not, you you're can't smell the bouquet, right? You can't right. smell, can't smell, you can't put it on your tongue. Like when you go yeah. to a store and you want to buy a perfume, they usually have a sampler, right? Mm-hmm. You no, can't, it's can't like buying them. shoes online. How sexy is buying shoes online? You don't. <laughs> There's a reason you go to Nordstrom's. There's a thousand different shoes to try on at one time. Same thing in a wine store. I'm with you, Heidi. Walk through, pick up, look. Maybe you only want one bottle, but you always walk out with six, right? The That's- only difference, Doug, is, forgive me for this, is when you already know you have a favorite wine or favorite pair of shoes and you're rebuying it online for convenience or because the local retailer, and I, I'm, a cert- I'm a drummer and I have a certain kind of boots that I like to wear and the mm-hmm. manufacturer doesn't make them. So I scour everywhere, eBay, Mercari, Poshmark, you name it, looking for those boots in that size. And I bought four pairs online, never in my life when I buy shoes online, but I know the brand, I know the model, the style, how the size fits, and that's the only way. But let me move on. Doug, you've already used your prediction number three, which I had highlighted to go next after Heidi. So I'm going to put Heidi up now, and then we'll go right to Matthew, because Doug, you already already got your prediction, and I loved it, the DTC. Heidi, prediction number two, technology and sustainability go hand in hand, and we're going to see huge leaps in the use of vineyard technology that will be more efficient and better for the lives of vineyard employees. Let's go that way. Heidi, I'm putting you up. Go ahead. Um, yeah, well, it's, I think it's really exciting the leaps by which technology in the vineyard has been growing over the last 10 years. A lot of it has been pushed because there's a big labor shortage in California. So that there's really been a movement to, um, to mechanize and to create uh, vineyard technology that helps to supplement human labor. But in doing so, it also has really helped the, the human labor aspect of it. Just speaking um, at Shy Family Wines, like one of the things that we instituted about, I think we trialed it about, you know, six years ago and kind of it went full time about four years ago, our electronic pruning shears. Pruning is something that's really hard to mechanize, although we have experimented with mechanical pruning. Um, but it's a very precise um, application in the vineyard. It's very important to setting the stage on the vines for your for your crop to grow for that year. So we have these electric pruning shears that um, workers wear a backpack. It's very light. Um, it just is a quick little zap as opposed to really having to use your hand to, to cut off a vine. Um, so it allows them to move faster through the vineyard. Um, and very importantly, it's a lot easier on their bodies, on their hands. It extends their career. They can go home, you know, take your kids to a soccer game or whatever. And it's really been a great life enhancement for our workers. Also, employing technology in the vineyards using um, iPads and transmitting 
information electronically and all that um, has helped our vineyard workers to become technologically proficient themselves. So maybe they don't have a computer in their own home, but they're certainly learning how to use computers in a business setting and in a business application, communicating um, with everybody throughout the company, um, sending real-time information throughout the growing season. And so these things, I think, really enhance the lives of, um, of our workers and give them a career path to continue moving from, um, from the field into management positions, which we see a lot at, uh, at Shine Family Wines. Some of our vineyard employees have been with us for 25, 30, even 40 plus years. So it's really great to see that they can make a career out of working in the vineyards and, um, and go into high, high level management positions. You are living the word family, Heidi. If you have people who have been with you more than 20 years, not just family wines, it's fam- family, family, family yeah. business. Thank you for that. I'm going to move on. I'm looking at the clock. We only have 11 minutes left, and I want to cover a few more predictions. Lisa, you always come on the show with such interesting people and all the commentary. I love it. Matthew Goldman. Matthew is going to introduce something that has maybe nothing to do with wine, but it's for enjoyment and it's something you ingest. And we're going to talk about what it has to do with the wine industry. You all saw it in the pre-notes. Prediction number three, cannabis legalization will open both new collaborative products with wine and compete with wine for customer attention. Matthew, I'm going to stop there. Why don't you take us into this very exciting prediction? Matthew, go. I think there's no doubt that when consumers think about the things they ingest, which doesn't sound very pleasant, but it's the best way to put it. Sorry. It's, it's, uh, no, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, right? There's things you smoke, there's things you drink, there's things you eat. And I think there's a big culture as we talk about around experience and also this idea of self-care or treating yourself. And cannabis is legal in, I don't know how many states right now, it seems to keep changing. And I think that will only continue to grow and I think with the current administration, there's a real possibility of national legalization or at least decriminalization. And people are going to want to consume cannabis, whether they're smoking it or eating it. And I know there are already weed infused drink products. I think they're not legally allowed to be called wine, uh, but people are going to try them and some people are going to like them. Honestly, it sounds terrible to me personally, uh, but that doesn't change the market. And I think that it's a huge trend, this idea of, crossing these paths. I mean, a historical example of this is bourbon barrel-aged wines, right? Like people think about mixing these concepts together and it goes to, you know, really against the grain of traditional winemaking, right? As we talk about the big Napa Valley Cabernet, maybe that's not going to be what people want in 20 years and the big trend. And that has huge implications in a business that has to evolve slowly because of growing and aging and fermenting and, and all these concepts. And so I think there, there is a meaningful challenge to wine as a recreational enjoyment from, from cannabis. Thank you very much. Very interesting. We've always heard about the influences of cannabis on people's lifestyles, and you've drawn a different type of a picture. Lisa, anything you want to say? I see you looking very pensive there. Yeah, I was just looking in the, in the chat as well. I mean, it, you know, there is a lot of regulation and I was actually even going to bring that up um, mm-hmm. around Doug's prediction um, with, you know, the, you know, the opportunity for retail to continue to, to thrive because there have been changes in regulations where, you know, we're very um, 
we're very regulated in this industry, as you can imagine, I guess, as we need to be and should be when you talk about alcohol. But, you know, they've had to change a lot of laws like alcohol to go and delivery and curbside pickup places where physically, literally alcohol was never allowed to be to be shared, passed, passed around, transferred, whatever, consumed, much less consumed. And the same. And so we're beholden, you know, the tech, the technology we can adopt and the trends that we can pursue in this industry, be them leveraging technology and physically bringing product to where people are, to meet people literally where they are. We'll also, um, we're beholden to what the regulators will allow us to do. Um, you know, you can you can you deliver product? Can you sell it online? Can you do all these things? And then the next wave is certainly anything around CBD, uh, be it you know n- you know just hemp based, you know, so non THC, so there's no high effect. Um, and there's technology around developing those products themselves, much less than the regulation around selling them. I have a friend who makes some CBD beverages actually back in Georgia, and you know some of them can smell skunky and gross, and they've had to work hard from a flavoring perspective to make sure that something is is bright and fresh uh, and has a nice flavor profile that you actually want to consume. And the liquid consumption, I think, is appealing because then you don't have smoke in the air that would be a negative, you know, kind of environment for other people who don't like the smell of any kind of smoke, much less, you know, pot. So um, it's coming. And yes, and it is a moving target. And, you know, you have a big retailer like, you know, can you sell non-THC CBD products on on Amazon, Doug? I can't answer that. Okay, very well. Um, So, you know, but it's, it's popping up, you know, so non THC ones are, you know, are around and and big companies have to tread very lightly. And so they're again, beholden to those regulations. So the opportunity to kind of um, exploit, not in the negative sense, but take advantage of new markets and new consumers, you know, we're, you know, our our hands are tied oftentimes. And so it's a matter of um, threshold for risk sometimes too, and willing to try something new and, you know, you can, you and slap in the wrist, it can be detrimental and, and you know, painful, <laughs> financially speaking. So it's hard to like walk that tight rope. And, and I don't know, like, Heidi, do you guys see, you know, you have conversations with other producers about, you know, infused products and, you know, you know, what are you guys doing with it? Heidi? Yeah, we're not doing anything in the cannabis space. It's just not something that we're never say never, (laughs) but it's not something that we're passionate about internally. Um, We do a ton of new product development. And I think like just kind of the overall thing that we're seeing is this pushing of boundaries of what um, enhanced beverages look like, what wine products look like, malt-based, spirit-based things that, you know, we've got seltzers and spritzers and coolers and RTDs. And, you know, it's just this pushing of boundaries. And so I think in looking at the future of where all these beverages go, we just have to look at that elusive millennial and Z coming up behind them um, in terms of the way that they look at alcohol products, um, very different than the traditional viewpoint that maybe the boomer generation has where we kind of look at it in a 750 milliliter bottle and, um, you know, you, you buy it, you pour it into a glass and that's how you consume it. Um, the younger generation, I have three kids in their twenties and it's much more occasion based. They want a product that fits into, you know, maybe daytime drinking, weekend drinking, you know, evening drinking and late night drinking. And those can all be very different products. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to look at it in a very broad way. And um, as a boomer myself, I have to kind of get out of what I think um, is the appropriate way to consume an alcoholic beverage and try to um, talk a lot more to my kids. 
Thank you. We have four minutes left, but I want to sneak in one word that starts with a Jeff Lubin. This was in your prediction number four with the constantly, are we talking about markets and reaching people in different demographic cohorts, if you will, with the constantly changing algorithm systems and social media and search engines. Wineries will have a harder time reaching new customers, talking about Facebook, Instagram, Google, the ads and the algorithms for finding that audience that you think is your target audience. Jeff, could you give us about a minute and a half on this before we do a quick wrap? up? That won't be hard because I'm far from an expert on this subject, but I've run into it now because I've been, like like I mentioned earlier, I've sort of jumped into the social media and creating websites and all that. Um, all these algorithms are changing and what, they, what the algorithm is, it sort of decides, like Facebook will decide whether your post will go over someone else's post. Uh, and Google's algorithm is, you know, it's based on how fast your website loads, you know, like, like I've built a number of websites and, you know, in the beginning, you don't think about how large the entry photo is and it takes, you know, three milliseconds to load as opposed to one millisecond, you know, so there's going to be a lot of standards that um, the, the small producer uh, is unaware of and may not be able to achieve on their own, which is means they're going to have to spend extra revenue to bring in some people to optimize their sites um, and and really make things streamlined. It's uh, it's been an interesting interesting education. Uh, I mean, we do I do a lot of Facebook advertising, and um, you know you could really scroll, you really dig down and, and find you know. Uh, to, to the to the micro demographic of who you want to approach, but now like Apple is, is coming in uh, into their system soon, where you could, Facebook's gonna have to ask permission of a user whether they can look into their demographic, look into their information, because it's all privacy, and I'm all for privacy, but uh, it's gonna make it a lot more difficult for uh, for for uh, small companies to really get in there and and, and be seen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. Good, good topic to end with. We had so many. Lisa, everybody give Lisa a round of applause. Lisa Allen, oh, you're my good luck charm. We've been streaming live. You brought me such an interesting panel, and I'm going to tap your resources for a panel on the future of beer and technology in a couple of weeks, maybe in June, because we're, uh, we're early April now. I'd love to do a topic on that. Lisa, you're welcome to come back and be my, my good luck charm as well. I want everybody to say thank you to my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice thank America. You, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. And I want to say thank you to our wonderful panel, Lisa Allen, of course, Jeff Lubin. Such a pleasure to meet you, Jeff. And I enjoyed watching you out in the vineyard there. <laughs> Heidi Scheid from Scheid Family Wines. Thank you so much for your insights. And I love the happy sign above your head. That's all. Everybody should have happy in their room. Doug Bell, such a pleasure to get to know you. And thank you for sharing your insights on the retail side. And Matthew Goldman, the idea of rewards. Why not, right? It's time. Everybody wants to be rewarded for something. And I want to say uh, thank you all for watching, for listening. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. And the voice of the gentleman who introduced the show in the opening is Ryan Treasure, the VP of Operations at Voice America, my colleague and my good tech friend. And we started the show together. So thank you, Ryan. And now I have one more message for our listening and viewing audience. If somebody comes to you and says, the future is already here. I want you to raise a glass of wine from one of these wonderful people or with one of these wonderful people. And I want you to say to them, you're wrong. That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to be part of making it a better one. So drink up. Everybody wave goodbye. Bonnie D. Graham Bye. signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. 
Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh